Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, we're on. Folks, we that was are, an interesting experience. I've never well. had somebody pet my mullet on air. And, and this time it wasn't me. Uh, it was just a tease. It was a tease. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Catholic stuff. What up? You should know. This is uh, Father John and... Uh, Father Nathan. Father Nathan, we have uh, we have a guest here we'll introduce in a second, and then we have a guest audience of one. <laughs> Father Mike Rapp. Yep. With a clean-cut military haircut tonight, which is interesting. Little different, little different than last year's, like, skullet. Last year was the Weltmeisterschaft haircut, I believe. Yeah. We talk a lot about haircuts on this podcast for men. That's interesting. Well, some of us get haircuts from someone other than our mom. That is true. Don't oh! I, uh, she does a great job. She does. I'm so happy to be podcasting tonight. I can't even tell you. He's not happy to be podcasting. Do you want a mic? Go get some popcorn. All right. We got popcorn. Feed, feedback Father in the Mike, headphones. Father Mike likes the savory, not the sweet. Absolutely. So, uh, Kitty Eisenbeel sent us some... Uh, gorgonzola chips yeah, and uh, i think you like those there we go the rest of us ate the uh korean mushroom caps those were interesting as they say yeah, they in minnesota a yeah. weird looking cartoon on it i'd like to give a, a kind of a cautionary warning for those who are about to enter into this period of banter with me namely you yep i've been awake since 3 a.m well it's 3 a.m again like it always seems to be Shoot, and, have we uh, told that story i will uh, no go ahead so I just want to say I, I I've been he's been up for a while. He, this time he'll fall asleep instead of me. Right, right, exactly. So uh, we were up at Gold Hill, um, and it was was it my first time? I think it was. It was first time, and Isaacoff, Mister Gregory Allen Isaacoff, came out and he was just chilling before his set. Right. And uh, I and needed the a wingman. Killing I, me. I needed a wingman. Yeah, he needed a wingman, and so I said, "All right, dude, let's go up." And he was just wasn't even moving. And I was like, "Come on, we got, we got to go." And I was, I got a little shy, got a little gun, a little nervous. Yeah. And we walked up, and uh, uh, he, you know, introduced ourselves, whatever. I don't even. uh, We weren't in clerics, or were we? I don't think so. Uh, And then uh, I asked him a question about three a.m. That's my favorite song, and uh, by Isaacoff. And uh, I said, "What does the line mean uh, at the end of the song?" Where he says, um, "See, I killed those damn. See, coyote. I killed that dang coyote in me. Uh, I ain't out there to cheat you. See, I killed that dang coyote in me." And uh, he told us about how he uh, wrote that song at 3 a.m. outside of Lions, pulled pulled over, looked at the stars, and we John really, said he was stoned out of his mind. I I don't know. We didn't really get an answer, but it was a awesome yeah. experience. And no he's picture. Very, he's very humble. Yep. Yeah. No picture. No picture. But I would have blown it anyways, like I do in every photo. So Father Mike and I met Pope Francis sure. this spring. I don't know if we talked about this, but yeah. they snapped two photos. Yep. And I'm notoriously bad at taking photos. Blanker. And I thought to myself, just play it cool, man. Just be totally normal. Yep. And I did. I was just totally normal. And they captured my normal face, which looked like Jack Nicholson. Or Nicholas, which is which. Yeah. Yeah. At well, the end when he's sitting at the typewriter at the end of The Shining, you know. That's, that's right. That's what my face looked like. It did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you looked, you looked like uh, someone who had just taken a, uh, like a line of either coke or um, like pixie sticks, and just like snorted it's a it. Fine distinction. And you were yeah. just like, whoa! 
<laughs> great to see you. Really happy to be meeting you right now. Wow. And Mike looked awesome in it. And then they snapped a second photo. My eyes were closed. And I was like, there it is. You're an idiot. So, yep. Well, let's introduce our guest tonight. Folks, you have heard us reference a certain person on the podcast. There's a lot of people that we've referenced. Friends, family, uh, co-workers, fellow priests, whatever. Um, the, the, I've been told that the stories I tell most are about this person. Your greatest man crush, we could say. It, I mean, next... He's been at the top of the charts for about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the love fest began 12 years ago in a in a refectory in Newman Hall. Mm. And uh, he was one of the only people that would actually laugh at my jokes. So... Um, yeah, this is, uh, we have with us today Father Nick Blaha. Um, he came out to do our conference. I somehow bamboozled the rest of the companions into thinking that it wasn't, the only reason why I was inviting him out wasn't just because he was my friend, but he actually had something to say, and uh, he didn't totally embarrass me, which is good. Um, and he's here with us tonight. But, but, he's a faithful podcast listener, folks. He is, he is, and he's a great friend, and we're very happy to have him. But before we go to that, we need to unpack one story from... Uh conference so i'm playing hearts one night oh yeah here we go you ready for this so let's just say a preface to this father nathan goble as a middle child looks up to certain figures blaha yep especially in the realm of fishing right and he has a point to prove you know i'm gonna show up i'm gonna fish well nick's here for four days that's right bring your a game totally embarrassed myself okay so I'm playing hearts with a number of these Hanyaks, and uh, I shot the moon kind of on accident. And uh, it was about, I don't know, it was like 10.30 at night. It was getting kind of late. It was 9.30, yeah. 9.30, okay, dark. so Pitch I shoot the moon, and being just the obnoxious human that I am, I First just start born. screaming and run outside, just out just out the door screaming, right? Just yep. shot the moon on all these, these guys. And uh, I run outside into the starry night. We're up in the mountains, and I hear somebody else screaming from down at the pond. Yep. Now, backstory, I had lost at sequence a game that is not for the faint of heart. I was trying to embarrass Ryan Kent. He's a seminarian, and he just he just really got my goat in sequence, and I was like, I'm going to crush you. And I had the winning piece, Ace of Diamonds, and played it on the wrong spot. Missed the diagonal sequence. We would have had five, totally missed it, embarrassed myself. They win two turns later. I am crushed. I said, forget it. I'm going to go fishing. So just like a good apostle, I go fishing. And then uh, 30 minutes later, after some angry casts, I hook into the fish of my life. Amazing. And I can't get this thing in. 25 minutes, I'm fighting this thing all over the pond. And then finally get it to shore. And I'm like, it's pitch black. I can't reach my camera. I'm covered in mud and fish grime. And I'm thinking, I'm going to lose this fish. Nobody's going to believe me. And I just start screaming, help, help. So I walk outside. It's late into the night. And I hear Goble screaming down at the lake, thinking he just got attacked by a bear or something like that. Yep. But in his hands was a 24-inch? Leviathan. It was amazing. Yep. Any, somewhere between 21 and 23 inches. And we decided how many pounds? Somewhere, according to the New York State, based upon their like game and fish wildlife chart, Based on the amount of inches, you can guesstimate the amount of pounds. So it was somewhere between three and four pounds. Three and, and next, four pound brown trout. And next year when you hear the story, it'll be a 30-inch rainbow, and it was eight pounds, exactly. five ounces. Right. This the amazing thing was, was, John was there, 
and I pulled this thing out and he couldn't believe it. I'm like, you got to help me. I can't hold my phone. I, I got this hook caught in him. I can't get it out. And he couldn't get the camera working because he couldn't well, I got get the, the flashlight. I got the camera working. Couldn't get the, flashlight, get the flashlight, working flashlight working because he was holding, he turned on the camera. So I'm trying to take the hook out of this. We were very with, excited at the point. It was, I'm trying to get this this hook out like in, a, in like a dance club. He's just taking like a hundred <laughs> photos, like a strobe light. It was like paparazzi. And don't pretend like you didn't want all those photos. Oh, yeah. He I, was changing positions, flexing the mullet the a hair. different way. Yeah, it was. Yep. And then uh, took a picture with it. There, there is an official picture, but a little request. What? Uh, in the Lego version, can we get a mullet on the fish, too? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Mullet That Leviathan. was actually a pretty brilliant That was a good uh, insertion. Thank you. So, anyways, uh, I caught this fish. We come back in. Everybody's upset because they're like, uh, we thought you guys were dead. We didn't know what happened. And I'm like, where's Nick? I got to find him. I got to show him this fish. I run upstairs. He's like, you know, fiddling around in the bathroom, picking his nose hairs or something. And uh, I'm like, I show him and I'm thinking he's just going to be like, nice fish, boy. You know, and that was all I was going to get. And it was pretty much like, that's pretty good fish. Nice. And then you were like, and then he he imploded internally. I'll never live up to your standards. No, no, he was very impressed. He's very impressed. And I was like, ah. I was like this golden retriever that brought back like a dead raccoon to its master. And you know or whatever. what? You like, rode, Good boy. You rode that victory train for about forty-eight hours. That's right. And then what happened? We squared off in euchre. No, are we going to talk about against that? the Joliet boys? I hate uh, to say it. They listen yeah, to the podcast. Bad. They owe. We owe it to them. It was bad. Yeah, it was bad. Not only was it, not only was it a, a streak of cold cards. But it was uh, just pathetic play on my part. So yeah. I, I did have one moment, and I can't repeat it on air, that <laughs> I tried to play it cool, tried to play it cool, and then this one seminarian who's a very kind, holy, pious kid plays the Jack of Diamonds. Diamonds was Trump. He he pulls out the my Jack of Hearts and somebody else's Ace of Diamonds, and he just sits there and stares at it for about 30 seconds. He doesn't clear the cards. He just stares at it, kind of gloating. Like, really gloating. And I said, maybe you should clear the cards off the table. Something like that. Except, imagine that, like, in, you know, Kid Rock version. uh, Let's just say it like this. The Joliet guys had heard all these words, but maybe not that combination of words. True. It was a choice. But they they took us behind the woodshed, and, uh, yeah. and And then John put his arm around me later and said, Nathan, he's like, look around. He's like, look around. We're going to be here. We're going to be here uh, next week. And they're going back to the southern sh- suburbs of Chicago. And I can't I believe like, you yeah, said exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So we had a great conference. But one of the best parts of the conference. Yeah, this is still the It's only still been bantering. a couple minutes. But uh, one of the best parts of the conference, if not the best, was Father Nick Blaha, who blew us away. And, uh, you know, we had this weird exegete who, you know, did the presentation the year before. Remember that guy? What was his name again? I, I, he had a great haircut. Yeah, great dude. Haircut. No, it was Father Mike just joking around. But Father Nick did such a great job that we wanted to have him over here tonight and uh, to do a little follow-up on uh, what we heard and uh, try and unpack it a little bit. So, Father Nick Blaha, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Thank you. Wow, what a pleasure to be here. Yep. 
Oh, that, those headphones are... The yeah. problem with the headphones, <coughs> we're such a janky operation that we have new problems every week. We've been doing this only for seven years, and we can't figure it out. So yeah, drop your headphones <laughs> with the reverb. That's There's good. like 14 audio engineers right now just shaking their heads saying, what is wrong with these guys? When, when's if, you know it? Anything, if you know anything about a... Uh, we'll get back to our soundboard. Behringer QX1202. <laughs> Let us know. Or we can just buy a new soundboard. We'll quote. Quote Father Larkin say, "When are we start? When when are we going to start living audio excellence?" <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So, Father Nick, maybe a, a brief word about uh, yourself, what you're doing now, and uh, and then uh, we'll go into the topic here, and you can kind of we'll go from there. Yes, though, brief clarification about the fish, if I may. <laughs> just just to be clear, uh, if you if you ever see a photograph, the official photograph, sans mullet or with mullet, you will see Father Nathan Goble's face, ready to break. There's so much joy beaming from it. His teeth are, I think they're clenched together in, a, in, a, in an attempt to keep his soul from escaping from his body. He was shaking so violently in joy that he couldn't get the hook. I think he killed the thing. It swam away. He revived. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was doing the uh, elementary backstroke. That's what I saw. Fins out of the water. Right. Belly up. But it was gone the next morning. So yep. Yep. Somebody Beautiful. got it breakfast okay well man what a uh fun thing to be here um my, i'm currently serving as a chaplain at emporia state university and uh, stingers up stingers up sting them and uh <clears throat> been there for three years and working with college students i also have a small parish in the country and uh you know i, I moonlight as a as a conference speaker to you know people that i know <laughs> None others. So well, we were very undeserved of this guy. Was this the first time you you had done something like this, a conference for priests? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Slightly intimidating, I imagine. Even though we're friends, I mean, I would I would think if I had to speak in front of these guys, it would be extremely, yeah, extremely intimidating. In fact, when Father Goble asked me back in what was it, February, March? Yeah, everything in my guts (laughs) clenched up and said, "No, (laughs) absolutely not." Yeah, But but you came. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was an exciting challenge, and I got excited about the topic, and seeing your guys' response to it, I think was even better. So, so to the topic, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, you know, I went through the process of trying to figure out what what would be a good thing for priests to read and think about and talk about on a summer conference, summer reading. You know, there's a certain quality to summer reading, and uh, my own interest in in a couple of. Um, of Catholic authors presented themselves, and the one that emerged was Walker Percy, a Catholic author who was um, well known in the 20th century, but in my opinion, not well known enough. Absolutely, and it was actually interesting as we had a, we have a good number of guys who are pretty well read, but most of us were not exposed to it uh, before, kind of hearing your presentation. So it really was like a we thought this is a great podcast topic as well because we need to introduce people to what we experienced through through you and that and some yeah yeah i think um i think walker percy is uh, so you've been told many times you need to read a book about this or that um you, you know you cruise the library or cruise the bestseller list or whatever it is and, and you're looking for good material but i think you got to be introduced to someone like walker percy and told repeatedly stick with it it's right. tough right it's confusing it's um <clears throat> yeah at times just it just doesn't make sense but if you have someone there to kind of reassure you hey if you, if you continue with this it'll pay off and there'll be a, a rich reward uh, waiting for you 
So if I was going to ask you, uh, like, the banter. like the banter, which always pays off. So no, if I was yeah. going to ask you though, Father Nick, somebody says to you, you know, I, I got a lot of things I'm reading right now. Um, why, why Percy? What's, what's his, what, what in a nutshell, kind of, what is he doing or, or how has he kind of affected you? I know that's a huge question to ask, but if you were going to, if you were a salesman for rock, which kind of were this week, you know, how do yeah. you, how do you go about that? Yeah. In a nutshell, he <clears throat> he's a very attentive guy. He was a physician by training, grew up in the early part of the 20th century, and he acquired this diagnostic habit where you're just paying attention to things. You know, you know, like doctors, your patients are telling you those kind of medical stories where they're they're telling you their symptoms, but it doesn't really explain what they have. You're kind of a house guy who's who's going to read between the lines and find out what nobody else can see. And I think that's Percy. He can <clears throat> he can read between the lines of what it means to be human, not just what it means to be sick. Though he would say that's kind of part of what it, part of what it means to be human is to be sick. We're broken. We're fallen. And <clears throat> I think as a 20th century figure, he did more, as far as I know, than than any other Catholic author to to make that available to a wider audience on on terms that anyone, not just Catholics, but anyone can appreciate. Right. I think that what uh, what struck me about Percy as you started to talk about it was um, it was the human thing. Mm. So a lot of times we were thrown theology and we're trying to kind of resolve the the modern problems at theological level, which there is an element of that. But what Percy goes right for is the the anthropological shift and the the change in the understanding of man. Yeah. And uh, we read a particular book, which I think you're probably going to talk about here because uh, yeah. you got it on your side, which um, kind of just brought back to the center. Which we're hearing from different people, you know. Giussani's big on this. John Paul II was big on this. Mm. But the 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 times we're living in are fundamentally have fundamentally shifted anthropologically yeah. in our understanding of what it means to be man. Bless you, Father Nathan. So, <laughs> so that was that was the initial thing that struck me was to say this is the, the the problem that faces the human person. And then there's something about the the role of the novel and literature that's able to kind of impart that and communicate the question of man in a different way. And I think that's really striking for, for those of us who study theology and say, yeah. oh, this is interesting. So, yeah, so we had, we had an argument over, over this about dinner, about the, about the novel as a specifically Christian um, creation. And Father, Father Mike Rapp <coughs> took issue with that claim. <coughs> Sorry, that's really bad to clear your, mic, to clear your throat in the yeah, microphone on the podcast. Amateurs. Amateur. Look, Father Nathan just scorn, <laughs> emanating. <laughs> Speaking of Father Nathan, if you hear crashing or booming, uh, one of the things that frequently happens when Father Nick Blaha starts to speak is uh, Father Nathan starts to swoon. And so he just kind of goes into these kind of, I don't know. Look, man, just because I sat front and center uh, with a, a quill in my hand and then I painted on my eyebrows, like on my eyelids, like... Like Indiana Jones. Yeah, and every time I would blink, I, you know, Nick would just see me. So weird. Yeah, very good. So uh, back to the uh, topic. Um, it's interesting. You want to start? You want to jump into Lost in the Cosmos? Yeah. Or you want to talk about Percy's life a little bit, or what do you think? Well, yeah, maybe that would be best. I found my access point to Percy through this book, Lost in the Cosmos, which was one of the last books that he wrote before he died in 1990. And it's a it's a satirical parody of a genre, which was very prevalent at the time. It probably still is to some extent. You go into that aisle in, in Barnes & Noble and you find all kinds of self-help, you know, the Tony Robbins kind of genre. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it just seems like he he was 
very in tune with pop culture, and he thought, this is a, a way that I can get my point across. So he, he wrote this satirical book, Lost in the Cosmos, uh, which starts out as a, a kind of a, just a catalog of all the weird things that you'll notice about consumerism. You know, why, why is it that when you, uh, when you get a new set of clothes, somebody says, oh, yeah, that's you. Right. That's really you. Um, he's, he's getting at what, what the, the kinds of things that make you notice the strangeness that being alienated from the human experience. He thought life in the 20th century was, was dehumanizing in many ways, and he wanted to draw people's attention to that. I and mean, he thought the best way to do that was this abstract self-help quiz, which was totally sarcastic and actually pretty funny. I mean, you read it. Me talking about Percy is not funny. But reading Percy is, is very makes you laugh yeah, out loud. Absolutely. <clears throat> so he he chose this book as as the way to kind of hook people to what he was trying to get across. What he had been trying to get across through his novels over the last probably thirty years of his life. Uh, he was first published in 1962 with his kind of classic work, The Moviegoer, won the National Book Award, and from that point forward, he found his voice over time and, you know, like any author that evolved. But what, what I think is particularly helpful about it is he's laying out in a very direct, direct way. I mean, as direct as he ever does what he's been about all his life in a way. It's almost like Newman's speech, you know, the Biglietto speech Uh in 1890. He says, this is the spool around which my whole life has been wound. Um, and he really has been consistent. So that gave me access to the rest of his novels. Yeah. So you started with the movie gore or you started with Lost in the Cosmos? Oh, yeah. Hmm. And what would you recommend to people as well if they yeah. want to kind of begin with? So I would say I have two suggestions. If you're, a, if you're a, an abstract thinker, if you enjoy systems and looking at things intellectually, Lost in the Cosmos is the way to go. If you are a, a narrative type and enjoy you know, the storytelling in, in, its, in its fullest form, if you enjoy the novel, then start with Love and the Ruins. And mm-hmm. a couple of people have suggested that and rereading it myself recently, I think I think that's probably right. Love and the Ruins was a, a book, the third book that he wrote, I think. Uh, the third book that he was that he got published. And that <clears throat> was just a story of America in the future. He was writing in the 1970s, but America in the future, fragmented, uh, polarized politically and socially and uh, all kinds of racial tensions and uh, stuff that you know, doesn't sound too far off from the sorts of things that we're seeing in the news today. So remarkably applicable, very astute, takes place over a few days in July in 1970 something. And it tells the story of Dr. Tom Moore, uh, named after Thomas Moore, the great, Mm -hmm. the great martyr and saint, and how he finds, um, how he finds the way to, to be human in the midst of chaos near a time at the end of the world. Yeah. Well, I think that the novels and there's kind of this thread that kind of ties them together, but then Lost in the Cosmos at least kind of really pointedly puts it together. And I was just going to draw from a quote right here at the beginning to kind of frame what does he mean by Lost in the Cosmos and mm. what are we talking about with this kind of the problem that man is facing? And I, this is a line from right off the first page. Uh, Why is it possible to learn more in 10 minutes about the Crab Nebula in Taurus, which is 6,000 light years away, than you presently know about yourself, even though you've been stuck with yourself all your life? Now, Goebel, I don't know anything about Crab Nebula, but it sounds like something that would live in this rectory that we're in right now. Do you know? <laughs> the tiles on the ceiling. We're in the uh, Dungeons and Dragons room right now. Again, so. Everybody's ragging on this this room, but I, 
I'm, I'm in I'm you dig? Sort of fascinated by it. Yeah. It's got a mystique. I feel like to we it. should have swords and kind of hell yeah. wants to Well, I mean, when when Father John's mom walked in, she just like immediately got nauseous and she goes, <laughs> oh, "Oh, oh, oh." And then at some point she goes, "Oh, look. A fence upside down." And then she just walked out. <laughs> Yep, yep. She didn't have a lot of time for this room, but yeah. you know it's growing on us. So you obviously saw something in this, yeah. the brilliance of this. Industry. I get to leave. I don't have to live yeah, here. That's true. That's true. But I think the point is to say, with uh, when we talk about man is lost in the cosmos, he says man is the only alien creature, as far as we know, in the entire cosmos. And what he means by that is, why is it that we're growing technologically? We know more about the world, about nature, about the universe, everything that we can understand objectively through science, and yet more and more, man does not understand who he is and what he's about. And the only question that is his existence, and I think that's where that's Percy's kind of great insight, is we have to kind of bring that back to the fore and say, this is a very strange paradox that we're all confronted with. Yeah, he's sympathetic to people who struggle to navigate the, the, the modern world. And in, in some sense, he's saying, yeah, you, you should. You should be having problems. You should be struggling. You, you kind of should be depressed if you're depressed because... Modern life, in a lot of ways, is depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he went through his own kind of conversion, Percy wasn't Catholic. He wasn't raised Catholic. He was raised in the South and was uh, Presbyterian as a young boy. And then um, as he was trained in the sciences, became a, an agnostic and then an atheist before his conversion. He he could see that, well, uh, my hope is in science, right? Everyone had this great hope in, in, the, in the possibilities of the sciences to address human suffering and to explain to us how to be human. You know, if we eliminate all these problems, we've eliminated our economic problems, our political problems through rational thinking and the experimental method, we'll get there. And at a certain point, he realized that's not going to happen. Science can tell you all kinds of things about um, categories of reality, but it can't tell you about what it means to be human. Mm. It can tell you about the melting point of lead. It can tell you about the precipitation cycle and the tectonic plates underneath us and so on and so forth, right? Or the crab nebula. But it can't tell you how to live your life. It can't tell you how to be born and and live and die. So he set aside that project, still with great respect for science and the scientific method and all of its amazing power to address and alleviate human suffering. But he knew uh, that's not enough. That's not enough for human human beings. I, I liked his image in the in Lost in the Cosmos, where he asks, "Why is it that when you have a group photograph, you look for yourself first? Mm. Yeah. Why is it that when you stand in that three-way mirror at the at the Dillard store, you know, the the where you try on your your fancy clothes when you're um, buying a new suit or something like that? Why is it that when you see yourself in that three-way mirror, you're kind of surprised? Oh, is that what I look like? Or when you hear your voice on a recording, like I'm probably going to do here in a, in a few days?" What are you surprised? Does that sound like you? Why is that? Why are you unfamiliar with yourself? And that begins a process of reflection for him to say, how do you, how do you just live your own life? How do you, how do you be you? Right. And how do you be fully you as a human being? The question of the self is really at the heart of this this whole thing, which is to say that um, I am, um, I perceive myself not as an object, 
which I can know scientifically. I just am myself. You know? yeah. So selfness becomes this kind of strange, I think of Heidegger and his kind of th- being thrown into yeah. reality. There, there's something about this that you can't just kind of objectively kind of come to be. You just are yourself. And, and um, the more that we kind of truncate reason and understand things in the world objectively, we can't actually understand the subjective dimension, which is our own understanding and our own being, which which leads to our fulfillment and our happiness. And he has just very vivid imagery of the different ways that we understand the self. And that's kind of, I think, part of the project of this self-help project is the, 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 the kind of the satire of all of this is to say he goes through a number, maybe like 20 of them, or maybe 18, and then he goes into the last section, but all these different selves that we yeah. kind of put on. And it's very convicting and very creative and frankly brilliant um, but I think it, it is the problem of the self seems to me at the heart of what Percy's trying to present. And then that loops, of course, the question of the placement of self, which you explained really well to us, and maybe you can summarize here. Yeah, well, the, the <clears throat> so keeping in mind that I talked about this four to five minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and didn't even really manage to capture it, he, um, he rules out the religious option immediately as a way of kind of gaining a hearing from, from his, what his target audience is. You know, nobody takes religion seriously. Christianity doesn't have anything to say to us anymore, right? People tried that. It's old fashioned. What do we do now? We, <clears throat> we find ourselves in basically one of two ways, which he categorizes in terms of imminence and transcendence. So imminence is I-M-M-A-N-N-E-N-C-E, the, the inhabiting oneself. So I'm just going to follow my desires. I'm not looking for anything beyond. I'm just thinking, well, what do I, what's the right thing to do? What do I feel like doing? That's the right thing to do. Or setting that aside is kind of fake or, or boring. You get bored of that very quickly if you really do it. Now I'm going to try to refine and be very discriminating in the way that I that I live my life. So I'm, I'm going to become an activist. I'm going to get involved in certain political causes or, you know, I'm going to join Greenpeace or probably even some kind of religious causes could probably fall in that as well. But I'm just going to, I'm just going to live for this world and the kind of progress we can make here. Uh, opposed to that is what he calls transcendence. So you have this kind of rocket launch outside of the world. You, you go up in the space shuttle and you're looking down on the globe from this position of superiority and transcendence. So that's the, that's the perspective of science. You're looking at everything and you can see it all. And and that's, that's a beautiful perspective, right? Uh, You can see that also in terms of philosophy, people who try to, to look at the world and try to understand it by means of, you know, some particular philosophy, Marxism, let's say, you know, economic philosophy, Um, art, I find it really interesting that he puts art mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this category of transcendence. If you hear a, a, like an awesome song, uh, something that just takes you out, of, you're driving down the road, it's, it's 1130 at night, uh, you hit your second wind, and just like, that is, that is so true. That is, that is it. That's what it means to be human. I, I know that. That says something or it captures something that, that I get. Um, I'm sure we have some, many, all of us have our own examples of that. Um, Art is an example of that, you know, the, the painter who, who goes up and down, you know, California and paints pictures of people and, and meets, you know, those, those kinds of weird, just artist things, 
that give you access to, to stuff that nobody else has access to. That's a perspective outside of the world. So those are the two basic problems that you have, um, or ways of placing yourself, imminence or transcendence. The problem with that is then, um, how, do you, how do you get back in? Right. You're orbiting the, the planet and you got to get back down to earth. That movie Gravity, I think uh, that's, a, that's a vivid image for that Sandra Bullock, you know. Is that in space with Sandra? Yeah. 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 She's up there cruising around, George Clooney just keeping it real. And, you know, you got to find your way back down. But there's all these obstacles. Um, you either bounce off the atmosphere if you're coming in too shallow or you burn up. You burn up on reentry. Um, Percy wants, wants people to see that and say, those ways don't work. Uh, science is great. It's beautiful. Art is great. It's beautiful. F- knowing your desires and paying attention to what's going on uh, in your own heart and your own, your own kind of human bodily existence is great. But none of those things tell you who you are. And after he rather perceptively and, and, and cruelly just cuts those things apart, he says, well, what's left? Why don't we pick up the religious option again? What, what does it mean to be in conversation with God, transparent before him and willing to accept who I am face-to-face with Christ? What's interesting about this is that um, we're, as modern men and women, we're, we're uh, in a process of dealing with this question of self. And that's what I like. He phrases this, you know, so you're either down at the local bar watching the football games, kind of just repeating whatever political party or whatever opinions. And you know, it's the group think of the imminence, you know, or you've, you've broken away from that. And you've, he talks about how the scientists are the kind of the gods of the age, you know, they're yeah. the princes of the age and then yeah. the artists are the suffering servants of the age, but both yeah. have kind of broken out of that world. And you even go to different neighborhoods in Denver and you, you feel that, you know, it's like, whoa, I'm in a different place, you know, and uh, it's a different kind of feel. Um, and but both of those are they don't they don't satisfy. And that image of the, the people who choose transcendence, the artists, the scientists um, as kind of orbiting the world and struggling to reenter reality. I mean, that's a very striking image. Um, and it made me think of something that um, and I haven't mentioned this to you, but John Henry Newman, one of our favorites, um, in his idea of the university, um, talks about the two ways that, that university education collapses. It goes in one of two ways. Either the way of power, which is science, mm. or the way of beauty, which is art. That's the two collapses of modern education. Mm. And that, I think Percy's kind of coming at that from the same angle, which is to say, when you take power, right, knowledge is power, as we know from Francis Bacon back seven centuries, yep. um, and you all of a sudden can control the universe and come to this kind of mathematical precision with everything based on the kind of modern physics and what we know of the world, uh, then everything become, it comes to this level of power. But the problem is, is that that doesn't register. I can't measure my own selfness, so to speak, with that kind of level. And so the education of the human person collapses in that way. And that's, that's one major area. And then the other way is just the grasping of beauty and the creative and kind of the Dionysian, um, and then that choice of kind of rejecting everything else. And so I thought it was really striking that, um, that we're in a time of kind of educational crisis and that Percy's seeing that there's something here. Not He loves the artist. He is a writer, and he's a scientist. He's a, he's a doctor, so he is both. But yeah. he's, he's also saying 
there's something here that is lost and they're the artists and the scientists are proposing a way that ultimately can't re-enter into reality if they take seriously the question of their own self yeah tying that to education is is big i mean that's you you spent some time in, in boulder working with university students and and you know in my in my own ministry just feeling the the difficulty of what's how, how do you navigate that how do you navigate that as a catholic how do you navigate it as a as a human being i i think when i when i think about Percy and what he has to offer i i i really was moved by his own experience of conversion when he was reading soren kierkegaard a, D- a danish philosopher back in the 1940s i think when he was sick in a sanatorium. He had tuberculosis from doing autopsies on cadavers that were brought into the hospital when he was doing his medical internship. He's pondering, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I'm, I'm sick. There's no cure for my disease. Um, I, I, I've invested all of my time and energy into becoming a doctor and that's not open to me anymore. What do I do? You know, I'm a single guy. Um, I'm, I'm interested, but Every possibility is open to me, and therefore no possibility is open to me. I, I need something to take me in a direction. And the church spoke to him during that time um, through the person of a, a couple of people who were there in the sanatorium with him. And he was reading some Kierkegaard at their sort of invitation. And in that, he, he comes across this little essay called The Difference Between a Genius and an Apostle. Um, to be a genius is to be so talented that you see things that can be that can be understood from that kind of transcendent perspective. You see it from the outside. And the idea is that, well, a smart person is going to be able to do that. He wanted to be a smart person. He wanted to be an intelligent, insightful person. But he came to understand there's another kind of knowledge. And that is, that's the kind of knowledge that comes to you from an apostle, someone who has been sent with the authority to speak you know, as, as one who, who knows, as one who has set the world on its foundations, your guys, uh, podcast just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know when that was you and father Mike on the Evangelion, right? Mm -hmm. The announcement, the the emperor pronounces. So that's the news that comes to us. It, It descends from the one who has authority to speak and he has a, he has a messenger. Uh, that's a different kind of knowledge. And we respond to that differently than we do to the kind of knowledge we get through science, through art, um, and so on and so forth. We respond to that by, by an action. We, we respond and, and, and move. We change our lives. So that image of the castaway on the island, you know, you washed up on an island, you don't know how you got here. Um, you make a life as best you can, but then someone comes along and says, I know where you came from. I know what you want. Come, follow me. That's what happened to Percy in the 1940s and he decided all right I'll follow and he followed that invitation for the rest of his life till the day he died he was buried in a Benedictine monastery down in Louisiana where he worked and wrote and raised his family hmm. but that that distinction um, you know I think people are pretty skeptical these days they're not willing to really uh, to commit to something that they don't really understand ahead of time and so the credibility of someone who can who can enter their lives and through friendship, through relationship, through conversation, through sharing the things that matter to them can can make a credible invitation and say, "Come, I know what you want. I know what you what what your predicament is. 
I know you're stuck on this island, but there's there's another place yeah. for you. This morning at about 5 a.m., I was walking on a trail up towards a mountain with a couple of people, and one of them mm-hmm. was Ryan Kent, who just finished his philosophy study. So he's big into existentialism right now. So we're talking about existentialism, and existentialism mm-hmm. had a big influence on Walker Percy. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we came to as we were walking on the trail this morning was um, that existentialism, which begins with Kierkegaard as a response to Hegel and yep. the German idealism. So these German thinkers, Kant, Hegel, who just created these systems of ideas that had just completely kind of lost touch with reality. The response of existentialism was freedom. The problem is man's freedom, especially we see this in Sartre um, and even with Nietzsche, but specifically in Sartre. And that's what we were discussing this morning. Um, but what I find interesting with Percy is to say that he appropriates and and recognizes that the 20th century is, is really a question of man's freedom. Like, am I free? You're looking, we're looking at these ideological systems like in Nazi Germany that just sweep nations, countries, change the course of history suddenly, within immediately. The best educated, we heard this in the documentary, best educated civilization in the world. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the world wars come out of it. Yeah. So the question of man's freedom, Percy kind of sees that and as a Catholic is not afraid to kind of say, yes, this is a question of freedom. But what I like about Percy, and this is a way I think he transcends existentialism is he says it's also a question of reason and this is where he's kind of in line with pope benedict and um because i i more and more i see that pope benedict's project was about the broadening of reason the problem with modernity was that we truncated reason down to this specific thing and and uh, which is basically kind of a scientific kind of uh, machine cartesian machine and so he's he's kind of pulling on both things here to say that we have to recognize a new man's freedom and that he his freedom is what constitutes how he deals with the fact that he is lost in the cosmos. Yeah. His self is just thrown into this and kind of lost. But he's also saying, I think, in the book and in his work, um, we have to kind of expand our understanding of human knowledge. And this is what I was, I'm tying back into what you just said, was that there is the knowledge you can come to by propositions and by reasoning. And then there's the knowledge of facts which is to say that somebody told you at some point that you were born from this woman, but you can't prove that by propositions. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same with the Catholic faith, is that we can't demonstrate in, in kind of rational propositional form that all of this is true. Somebody came and told us at some point this is true. And what's great about this right now is that the guy who told Father Nathan Goebel that is right here, Father Nick Blaha. I mean, Nathan had faith, but you in a very specific way came into his life Laughed at all his jokes. Laughed at his jokes. Good and bad. Which is hard to do sometimes, you know. <laughs> but that's to say the, the role of the witness and the personal and that, that connection between that. So I, I think that what he's saying about the, the, the notion of facts and uh, the broadening of reason is on par with the kind of recognition of man's freedom as well. So, Well, to go back to Newman, nobody ever died for a, for a conclusion. You know? <laughs> Great. That's true. What does it matter? What does it matter to me? Uh, I need somebody to, to take me by the hand and walk me forward. And <clears throat> we, we need more of them. We, don't, we need more people to do that, to, to take that responsibility for their neighbors, you know, for their, for their kids, and uh, just take, take that forward. One thing that I really liked about, especially the end, when he actually does say, let's, you know, let's attempt, let's just pick up the religious project again. He doesn't idealize, you know, religion as well. No. It has the answers to all your questions. No, um, he and was even, disillusioned about it a yeah, lot. And even the even the 
the dramatic reenactment of the the dilemma between science and uh, or just the technical project, which you know has its own kind of issues. Because you know, yeah, you're going to have a perfect you know system where you'll have enough food and exercise or whatever else, but like you're going to still have sin. You're still broken creatures and everything. And mm. um, you know, the last you're right. I mean, the last you know like twenty thirty pages were just. Uh, writ large like all of the cells that he had pointed at before kind of embodied yeah. uh, but even the church that he that he references isn't like you know uh, whitewashed and perfect right. And, right. Uh, which is which is true I mean like uh, that's the that's the church that we live in um, and if if there's anything that I I would hope that we're gaining from Pope Francis um, it's that he's kind of pointing to, you know the church does have its limitations you know it does have its have its warts uh but it's still the church um and i think that at the end of it um i think that w- the way he's kind of leading people is take the risk of the possibility that you may need uh something that the church has which uh is really embarrassing at times you know the ministers <laughs> were feeble and frail i mean i was telling them some of the stupid things that i said to my parishioners um I'll just tell them. They, some lady asked me, she said, uh, how often do you get your hair cut? And I said, not often enough because the way she asked the question. And then she goes, do you usually get your beard trimmed whenever you get your hair cut? And I said, do you usually get your beard trimmed whenever you get your hair cut? Uh, so the ministers are weak uh, and the sacraments are like veiled under this just strange, like breaking bread. I mean, the music hymnal. Uh, and then the neighbor next to you, the lady that always gets up to go to the bathroom, like in the middle of the sermon, um, you know, it's a human church, uh, but it has, you know, different origins mm. and those origins can't be proved by, you know, like taking the blood type of, you know, even the, even the Eucharistic miracle. Of, right. You know, that's my blood type, by the way. A positive? <laughs> a B positive. Oh, okay. For the record. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, let's try to stay on topic now. <clears throat> Oh, Mikey! I do. We're doing the forfer. I'll, I'll yeah. just because I, I had an experience recently that um, I thought very profound, um, but also very humbling. I was um, well, just talking about the kind of messiness of the church and how it's not going to be impressive to everyone and and uh, satisfy all of our expectations that are too way too high about. Um, about God and about religion and about understanding everything in the world. Um, but there's something beautiful about coming into contact with uh, the very grounded reality of the church. So I was in City Park, downtown Denver, uh, not long ago, hanging out with some um, missionaries called uh, Christ in the City. They're wonderful. I'll tell you about them later. But um, their project is to just hang out with the homeless and to get to know people. And um, so I'm there having lunch. I met this guy, Tim, and Tim told me about um, how he goes to pray every day. This guy was legitimate crazy. I mean, he's, he's got like paranoia issues, a lot of social anxiety. Um, he's homeless on account of all of his um, psychological problems and um, is asking for a meal in the middle of a park from people who are coming to do uh, charity work and kind of pity people um, but he's humble and he's just looking for a meal and he was 
great to meet. And he told me all about this uh, vision he had for a, uh, a movement for world improvement and how uh, he goes and prays at the church um, every day. He prays for hours at a time uh, for the people he meets, for, the, for world peace, for, um, for his family, and for his friends on the street. And I thought, this is incredible. This guy has dedicated more time uh, than me, this kind of vain priest who is trying to answer all the questions out in Rome and figure everything out and is struggling to do so. Uh, There was something incredible about feeling like this guy was uh, my brother and my um, just this fellow Christian who was confused asking not necessarily um, asking big questions about life and self but was walking the road uh, that Christ had paved for us and I felt very very close to him and I felt like jealous of his life in some ways which doesn't usually happen for uh, looking at crazy people who are kind of grungy but uh, that's that's the church and I liked this about reading Walker Percy and your invitation for us to read Walker Percy was that he accepts the reality of conversion, but doesn't say this fixes everything about no. your life. He lived with suicide no. as a reality in his uh, in his family, and as a real possibility for his own life uh, throughout. Um, yeah, throughout. No. You know, he knew this is going to happen to me. That this is to to say I'm going to accept my um, or live transparently in front of God as my way of. Um, being a self as being grounded but also being aware and being asking bigger questions um, not getting lost in the group think or the sporting event or whatever but also not trying to float above everybody and live in an ivory tower uh, but to live with your real self which is fallen and broken and, um, and in solidarity with other sinners whose sin is scandalous and is, is frustrating and is um, a mess, but to like accept to live in that swamp, but in a, in a way that's somehow redeemed in a very mysterious way. So I like that. I always like when um, someone who's firmly convicted of the uh, religious way uh, also recognizes that it's it's accepting a very human and very scary kind of um, fallenness in humanity. That interview that he had with himself, I offered. Uh, couple of lines from that if you guys remember where he was asked are you a liberal you know what kind of catholic are you are you a liberal catholic are you a conservative catholic he says i I don't know what those terms mean you know are you okay do you you mean that that do i accept the things that the catholic church proposes for belief yes I, i do accept those things so what kind of catholic are you i'm a bad one I'm a bad one and I'm willing to to carry that to the end of my life as a kind of pilgrimage. I think the uh, uh, we'll conclude here and then I'll have you give a final thought on Percy and then we'll wrap it up. Um, don't read Walker Percy unless you want to be uncomfortable. Hmm. If you want to stay in kind of the dream world where we have all the answers and everybody else is wrong, uh, like Father Mike was just saying, uh, kind of a triumphalistic, kind of muscular Christianity... Uh, you won't you won't like him. You'll have no taste for him. Um, 
And many of our good of our friends who have read him have struggled with him. Yeah. And I think that's really good. I think it's okay to struggle with it because um, he's forcing us to kind of face and confront the messiness of the human question, which is to say, like you just said, Mike, um, you have a conversion and it doesn't just fix everything. You know, we are celebrating last week. It's been 16 years since I um, had a very definitive moment in my life and came back to the church and, and kind of embraced the faith for the first time. My life isn't fixed. I'm still a mess, total mess. And uh, but beneath the the kind of the uncomfortable uh, unmasking of our own um, illusions is a, a resonance with what is real. This is what I experienced with Percy. You'll read him and you'll be like, "Ooh, you're pushing me, and you're confusing me." But beneath that is to say, "Now you're you're actually you're pointing me to to the deeper realities of things and to where Christ really is." Uh, in the church, in my own heart, in these things. And so we got a bunch of fanboys now from the companions, <laughs> uh, as, you, as you've made. So, uh, Final thoughts, though, on Percy. Final uh, uh, recommendations, and we'll go to shout-outs here. And we'll oh, yeah. Wrap it up. Well, man, beautiful stuff. Father Nepple, Father Mike, Father Nathan, man, you guys. Um, you, make, you make things real. Uh, I, I think for the... I think for the for the listeners, I would say, um, hmm. Walker, you know, his name is is significant. He's he's a man on a journey. Uh, he charts a course for people, and that is a puzzling course. It seems to take detours and and go into places that I I, I didn't want to end up. You know, in my in my desire to be authentic, in my desire to be holy, but. Um, I, Start, start, and don't quit. Uh, wherever you find yourselves, I think that um, f- something Father Brady Wagner said at the very end. I think it was in his homily, actually, that week of the of the conference. He said, uh, "I think a helpful corrective to maybe one blind spot that Percy has, where it's not just God and the self. Uh, you can look to your left and to your right." and see your brothers and your, and your sisters. And in those relationships, be grounded in a way that will carry you through those those difficulties. And I think, you know, the companions, being able to spend time with you guys and see the way that you that you love each other and the way that you do so um, very imperfectly <laughs> mm-hmm. and and pick it up again yeah. and again and again because, because that communicates uh, something to you that gives you something that... Um, helps you get up in the morning and can continue fighting the good fight, continue living this vocation and walking as a pilgrim to our, to our heavenly destination. Amen. Um, I think I speak on behalf of all three of us here to say that we are humbled, uh, in your presence and listening to you speak, you're a man of great wisdom. And especially those of us in graduate studies are like, why am I doing a doctorate? You should be absolutely doing this because you're a great mind, but you're also a humble man and a great friend. So thank you for being with us tonight. It's a great pleasure. Uh, we'll do some shout outs yes. and then we'll give you a chance to do any that uh, you mm. might want to do as well. So I'll, I'll start us off here. So we got a couple of Wyoming Catholic college graduates, uh, Zach Carlstrom and Sarah, and Sarah Sheehan. They're both working with core which is Catholic outdoor renewal. Love that. Listen to the podcast as they drive across the West in their packed 15-passenger van. So thanks for listening to that. Joe McGill, our friend from Scotland. Do you got a Scottish accent in you? No. You don't do Scottish accents. And he hates mine, so I better not even do it. But Joe McGill said, All right, Father, 
I was talking to a priest yesterday who's one year out of seminary. He tells me he listens to the podcast and he's, he likes the clerical banter. Um, and he misses it, leaving Rome. Father Jamie uh, McMorrin from Falkirk, so in the deepest, darkest Scotland, as Joe said, is listening to the podcast. And he's doing great work, with, um, with, especially with young people. So, Father Jamie, thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope you hear this and are grateful for your listening. And then lastly, uh, we got a nice invitation from a fraterna after, uh, right. after Mass. Angela Maria Alban uh, uh, Donoso. On October 15th, she's getting her vow... Were they vows? Different yeah. vows? Vows. Perpetual vows. She waited, Wait. she waited for that. She waited a whole year just to do Teresa of Avila, to have it on the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila. So, so yeah. Well done. Uh, you got a few more months to go, but uh, stay faithful. God bless you. We actually stayed at the exact same place, the exact same ranch where they stayed at, uh, the Amon family, um, uh, or the Amon. Amon family. Amon family. Amen. And, um, yeah, they left the place spotless, and uh, I don't know if we could say the same. So, thank you. Oh, my shout-outs. Um, to Tim McMaster uh, from Loyola Marymount. Uh, I happen to serve on the Archdiocesan Cemeteries and Mortuaries Board. <laughs> it is an exciting time in the cemetery mortuaries business. <laughs> People are dying to get in here. <laughs> um uh, the uh, the president of Mount Olivet Cemetery is uh, Gary Schaff, the executor, um, and he did a Jesuit volunteer corps with this guy, Tim McMaster, and they are uh, really good friends, and Tim listens to the podcast, so he wanted to make sure that I, uh, that I gave him one. And also to Ed and Bev Reiner, I swear I did this one, but uh, it's still on my reminder, so uh, that was a year ago. So Ed and Bev Reiner are from uh, St. Joan of Arc Parish, and they have... Uh, Randy and Nora, uh, who listen in Kalispell, Montana. So, uh, if you know of any sweet spots in Kalispell, uh, our friends Christy Steffel and Steve Walsh will soon be taking their honeymoon at Glacier National. So, I already told them Huckleberry Shakes um, every chance they get. But uh, other than that, God bless you. Thanks for listening. Father Nick, any shout outs? Your one chance. Oh, man. To the Diddy Catholic Campus Center. How, many do, Catholic. how many do I get? Okay, I got a shout out to my parents whose wedding, 42nd wedding anniversary is tomorrow. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm racing home to celebrate with them. To my little sister Christine down in Albuquerque, who's uh, carving out her path out of, the, out of the mountain wilderness there. A place of pure possibility. She's making it happen. Nice. And uh, I got a shout out to one of our students, particularly heroic, Taylor Jane Fuller. She's in Uganda for the summer, so she won't hear this, but she will hear it when she gets back. Uh, has been extraordinarily generous in her desire to follow the Lord wherever he leads. And that took her to a, a, a wild and foreign place. But, uh, you know, Taylor Jane, God bless you. Carry the fire. And nice. uh, we'll see you when you get home. Very nice. And then we owe one last shout out. Mike, Michael, James, and Max, our Joliet boys, joining right. us. Whipping us in Euchre. I promised Mike and James. Deacon Mike, excuse me, who's a good man and listened to the podcast while he was cooking breakfast. And James does too. James does too. Yeah. So James is the guy that beat us. We loved. James had that steely Polish glaze that just broke Nathan. Just broke him. Yeah. What What are you saying, Mike? I give one to Mel from Seattle. And Mel. Oh yeah, Mel from Seattle. Yeah, very good. 
in case he listens, just to be careful. Nelson, These are all guys who are with Nelson us. Strasich. All guys who are with us on the uh, conference. Great to be together, brothers, and uh, really, really love to have you on here. So that's it. Let's wrap it up before the hour here. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. I love you, Blaha. Huh? <laughs>